0: Good evening. Russia announces a new phase in the war, the secession of the eastern provinces of Ukraine, the International Criminal Court, and the hypocrisy of the United States. Bojo says, I'm sorry, and Albany distributes money from the opioid settlement. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, april nineteenth, twenty twenty two. In New York City, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres called for a four-day humanitarian pause in fighting in Ukraine to allow for humanitarian aid corridors during the Orthodox Christian Holy Week. Guterres added the pause would allow the safe passage of all civilians and the delivery of life-saving humanitarian aid to people in the worst affected areas, such as Mariupol, Kyrgyzstan, Donetsk and Luhansk.
1: Today, I'm calling for a four-day Holy Week humanitarian pause, beginning on Holy Thursday and running through Easter Sunday April 24th to allow for the opening of a series of humanitarian corridors the humanitarian pause would provide the necessary conditions to meet two crucial imperatives first safe passage of all civilians willing to leave the areas of current and expected confrontation in coordination with the International Committee of the Red Cross second. Beyond humanitarian operations already taking place, a pause will allow for the safe delivery of life-saving humanitarian aid to people in the hardest-hit areas such as Mariupol, Kherson, Donetsk, and Luhansk. The United Nations is ready to send humanitarian aid convoys during this period to these locations, and we are submitting detailed plans to the parties. I call on Russians and Ukrainians to silence the guns and forge a path to safety for so many at immediate risk. The four-day Easter period should have a moment to unite around saving lives and furthering dialogue to end the suffering in Ukraine.
0: United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres. During recent peace talks, Russia has demanded Ukraine declare itself officially a neutral country, providing guarantees that will never join NATO. Meanwhile, the Russian government says it's starting the next stage of its military operation in Ukraine to fully liberate the two provinces it calls the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made the announcement during an interview on the program India Today.
2: We are not up for the regime change in Ukraine. We have said this repeatedly. We want the Ukrainians themselves decide how they want to live first in a way which would not repeat the Minsk agreements. When they did decide that they don't want to do anything with the coup leaders who immediately said that they are against anything Russian culture, language, everything which these people cherished, and then they were uh, promised uh, something by the European Union and uh, cheated. So we want the people to be free to decide how they want to live in Ukraine this this uh, operation in the east of ukraine is uh, aimed as was announced from the very beginning to fully liberate the donetsk and lugansk republics another stage of this operation is beginning and i'm sure this will be a very important moment of this entire special operation tactical
1: nu- uh, nuclear weapons will
2: russia ever use them, to Ask them mr zelensky we never mentioned about this he mentioned this so his uh, intelligence must have provided him with some use. I cannot comment something which uh, a not very adequate person pronounces. He mm-hmm. says many things. Um, depends depends, has, depends, depends on what he drinks or what he, or, or what he mm-hmm. smokes. He says many things. There would be no change uh, for the uh, Europeans and other countries who buy our gas when they frozen Uh, The Russian uh, assets in dollars and euros and yen and pound sterling For the amount of more than 300 billion euros or dollars Those were mostly the money kept in Western banks After we received payment from the Western countries for our gas deliveries In other words, they paid us and they stole the money from us
0: Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov raising the question, what has the Ukrainian prime minister been smoking? Moscow launched a military offensive on Ukraine in late February after recognizing the independence of the region known as Donbass. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau pledged to send more artillery weaponry to help Ukraine in its confrontation with Russia. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said during a 90-minute video call, Biden coordinated U.S. efforts with its allies to further impose severe economic costs to hold Russia accountable. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby says military aircraft are part of a package, including heavy artillery, being sent to Kiev. Without getting into
3: what other nations are providing, that they have received additional platforms and parts to be able to increase their fleet size, their aircraft fleet size. I think I'd leave it at that. Platforms and parts. Platform is an
0: airplane in this case.
3: They have received additional aircraft and aircraft parts to help them get
0: more aircraft in the air. And that's John Kirby, the Defense Department spokesperson. The uh, defense minister of Russia said earlier today that it's the United States. That is prolonging the war. Uh, just last week, President Joe Biden announced a new $800 billion package, which included for the first time howitzer artillery units as well as more drones and other weapons, and headed for Ukraine. In related news, Russia seized its first town in eastern Ukraine as part of a fresh assault that Ukraine has described as the Battle of the Donbas. In related news, Minnesota. Representative Ilan Omar has called for the United States to join the International Criminal Court, saying that America's refusal to join is antithetical to our commitment to human rights. Omar fled her home country in Somalia to escape a civil war when she was eight years old. She introduced bills last week that would also codify the Office of Global Criminal Justice and repeal the Hague Invasion Act, which prohibits the United States from assisting the International Criminal Court. The United States has long kept the court at arm's length, a position hardened under the Trump administration. But now the Biden administration has shifted its position on the ICC after the United States Senate last month unanimously passed a resolution encouraging member states to petition the ICC or other appropriate international tribunals to take any. Any appropriate steps to investigate war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by the Russian armed forces? Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, introduced a resolution. The ICC has been created over the past uh, 20 years by countries with independent judiciaries with jurisdiction over the most heinous war crimes, uh, uh, such as genocide, crimes against humanity, and aggression. It's mostly prosecuted uh, African leaders who amassed reputations for brutality during various civil wars in the 1990s and early 2000s. But the court has recently been looking into allegations of United States war crimes in Afghanistan. The United States has refused to join the ICC, as has Russia, leaving both nations out of the court's jurisdiction. Nevertheless, defense attorney and law professor Marjorie Cohen says it's time for the U.S. to join as well.
4: The United States, which has refused to join the International Criminal Court by signing and ratifying the Rome Statute, nevertheless is pushing to prosecute Russia for war crimes committed in Ukraine. So there's a real double standard. And on March the 15th, the U.S. Senate unanimously passed a resolution encouraging member states of the ICC to petition the ICC or other appropriate international tribunals to investigate war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by Russia. And Lindsey Graham, who was the introduced this resolution says this is a proper exercise of jurisdiction this is what the court was created for and yet the u.s has consistently tried to undermine the icc but a unanimous u.s senate voted to use the icc to prosecute russia and one of the really interesting things paul is the first whereas clause of the senate's resolution condemning russia and it says quote Whereas the United States of America is a beacon for the values of freedom, democracy, and human rights across the globe, dot, dot, dot. This is 100 senators signing on to that in spite of the U.S. wars of aggression in Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and the Commission of U.S. War Crimes all over the world the
0: u.s has committed many war crimes to the point where they've even admitted they call it collateral damage in
4: 2020 the icc launched an investigation into possible war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by U.S. as well as Taliban leaders in Afghanistan. But when the new chief prosecutor of the ICC came on board, he narrowed the scope of that investigation to only limit it to Afghan or ISIS leaders get-out-of-jail-free card. It was a political decision, and yet there is documentation that the U.S. government committed torture, which is a war crime, and killed civilians with U.S. drone strikes in Afghanistan. Likewise, the Biden administration has continued the U.S. policy to oppose the pending ICC investigation into Israeli war crimes in Gaza, expressing serious concerns about the ICC's attempts to exercise its jurisdiction over Israeli personnel. And the former chief prosecutor of the ICC conducted a five-year preliminary examination and found a reasonable basis that war crimes were being committed in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and Gaza. And she initiated that preliminary examination six months after Israel's 2014 so-called Operation Protective Edge, in which military forces killed 2,200 Palestinians, nearly one quarter of them children, and more than 80% civilians.
0: Is it possible in the real world for a court and justice to be anything but a political pawn?
4: The ICC is not the only place where war crimes can be prosecuted. There is a doctrine called universal jurisdiction, which many countries, including the U.S., have used to prosecute foreign nationals for the most heinous of crimes. That is an option for aggression and war crimes. But during the Bush administration, when Belgium was investigating Donald Rumsfeld for torture and war crimes, the Bush administration basically threatened the belgian government that if it continued this investigation it would pull the headquarters of nato out of brussels and belgium back down
0: our south carolina senator there, lindsey graham is he serious about this
4: keep in mind he introduced this resolution with many co-sponsors and all 100 senators signed on to it you can't just blame lindsey graham for this i see hypocrisy in every one of those hundred senators who signed on to this whereas clause, whereas the United States of America is a beacon for the values of freedom, democracy, and human rights across the globe. That is just patently false.
0: Defense attorney and law professor Marjorie Cohen. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights says it documented 3,400... 55 civilian casualties, including 1,417 killed and 2,038 injured as of April 3rd, mostly from artillery barrages in Ukraine. The way the war in Ukraine has been covered has attracted the attention of media watchdogs. The Tyndall Report monitors the weekday nightly newscasts of the three American broadcast television networks ABC World News, CBS Evening News, and NBC Nightly News. The report Indicates the three networks devoted more coverage to the war in Ukraine last month than in any other month during all wars, including those in which the United States military was directly engaged since the 1991 Gulf War against Iraq. The only exception was the last war in which the U.S. forces participated in Europe, the 1999 Kosovo campaign. Jim Loeb is senior advisor and contributing editor at Responsible Statecraft.
3: Essentially found, to my surprise, was that the ukraine coverage during the month of march which is the first full month of the war is greater than any war that has taken place since the gulf war of 1991 what's particularly remarkable about that is that normally television network coverage of wars is positively correlated with the degree to which the u.s military is directly involved What's so remarkable in this case is that the U.S. military is not directly involved in the war in Ukraine. This is really kind of unprecedented coverage. It differs from other coverage of wars in that it's being covered almost entirely from Ukraine itself. Normally, it's mediated or much of war coverage is mediated through Washington, especially when the U.S. is involved, of course. But in this case, it's based largely in Ukraine. Even the network anchors have gone to Ukraine. The result of that, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has largely controlled the narrative from the outset. And that, too, is pretty remarkable. Usually the networks will provide narratives of both sides or the various sides that are participating in it. But in this case, it's almost entirely dominated by Zelensky himself. Putin and the Duma in Moscow enacted these censorship laws, which made it very difficult for foreign news agencies to report from there.
0: Zelensky is a young, smart guy who knows more about the media than Putin does. Or that the US and Russia are are eyeing each other over this chess table called Ukraine and Ukraine's about to get pushed to the floor that's definitely a factor i think there are other factors at
3: work as well but that's it's a war that's that can be reported from a relatively comfortable place that is to say you have this terrible humanitarian situation that has been created by russia's invasion Um, but there are terrible humanitarian catastrophes really in Several parts of the world. And in some respects, you can say that the catastrophes have been worse. And I'm thinking, for example, of Yemen or Afghanistan after the U.S. withdrawal or Ethiopia, situations in which literally millions of people's lives are very much at risk. I think it's easier for people here to identify with these people that they look. Like a lot of people here, and their lifestyle is is also somewhat similar, and yet they've become refugees overnight. People in some way can certainly sympathize, if not empathize, or not themselves feel somewhat like this could happen to me, whereas in Ethiopia or Afghanistan, or people dress differently, they look different it's a different response.
0: What is the significance of this for the way wars are going to be fought? What does it mean? They're, that the American public
3: gets a certain view of the world, and a lot of that is mediated through the three networks. And judging by their coverage of Ukraine in March, the American people will get a lot of coverage of Europe and Ukraine, and that's going to shape how they perceive threats in the world. And that has major consequences. The narrative has been so pro Zelensky will make it much more difficult for the Biden administration to resist calls to do more than they already have. And that, I think, could lead to an escalation, which could become very, very dangerous.
0: Jim Loeb is senior advisor and contributing editor at Responsible Statecraft. And in... In British news, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson apologized to members of Parliament today after being fined by police for breaking coronavirus restrictions in a scandal known as
1: Partygate. Let me also say, not by way of mitigation or excuse, but purely purely because it explains my previous words in this House, that it did not occur to me then or subsequently that a gathering in the Cabinet Room just before a vital meeting on COVID strategy could amount to a breach of the rules. I repeat, that was my mistake and I apologise for it unreservedly.
0: Johnson has been trying to move from move on from a scandal over illicit Downing Street parties that threatened his hold on power. Opposition lawmakers hammered the prime minister for flouting the rules he imposed on others and accused him of misleading Parliament when he claimed that none of the social gatherings held in his office had been improper. And in national news, Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom may lose some of the magic if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has his way. Years before Cinderella Castle opened, the creator of Mickey Mouse, Walt Disney, proposed to Florida lawmakers his Disney World Entertainment Resort in Orlando should have governing authority over the land. In 1967, the state granted the company the establishment of the Reedy Creek Improvement District to govern property that would eventually become Disney World. The collection of theme parks covers nearly 30,000 acres in central Florida, has 77,000 employees, at its height had 60 million visitors a year. That was knocked down by COVID to 20 million. But according to Disney Watchers, attendance is roaring back to larger than pre-COVID levels. Nevertheless, Disney's independence has come under fire after the company denounced Florida's new parental rights and education law, or the Don't Say Gay Law. Governor Ron DeSantis has been fortifying his position as heir to the right-wing America First ideology, animating supporters of former President Donald Trump. Part of that has been DeSantis's taking on Disney World. Yesterday, he announced the legislature would be considering stripping Disney of its governance power.
1: I think as many of you know, the Florida legislature is meeting this week uh, to consider the congressional reapportionment plan for Florida for the next 10 years. uh, And that is what they've been called upon to do. But I am announcing today that we are expanding the call of what they are going to be considering this week. And so, yes, they will be considering the congressional map but they also will be considering termination of all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968, and that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District.
0: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Representative Spencer Roach, who represents Fort Myers, wrote lawmakers have met twice to talk about repealing the Reedy Creek Improvement Act. Roach said if Disney wants to embrace woke ideology, it seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. And Philadelphia has become the first major United States city to reintroduce mandatory masks to protect against COVID-19. The measure was adopted yesterday due to a rapidly rising number of coronavirus cases. Indoor mask rules have returned a Little more than a month after they were lifted. According to the city of Philadelphia, in the last two weeks, 7.5% of COVID 19 tests were positive, with an average of 224 new cases of coronavirus infection per day. Meanwhile, in the wake of a decision by a federal judge invalidating the federal mask mandates for airplanes, airports, and other federal transportation, President Biden says it's up to travelers to make up their own decisions, make up their own minds on whether to wear a mask or not. New York State though is continuing with its own mask mandates on the subways and buses. Don't be too quick to take them off when you go down into the into the subway. Governor Hochul tweeted in response to the ruling, in accordance with the state health department's determination, masks are still required on the MTA. Her decision was supported by Tony Utano, the president of the Transport Workers Union Local 100, which represents subway and bus workers. The city's Taxi and Limousine Commission, which oversees taxis and for hire vehicles, including Ubers and Lyfts, Said today, they would still require drivers and riders in taxis and those rideshare vehicles to wear masks as well. Uber has said that it would stop requiring masks in the United States but follow local regulations. In neighboring New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy ended the mask mandate for New Jersey transport. And New Jersey Transit. And in more New York news, uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James announced today that Long Island has begun receiving $46.9 million from its opioid lawsuit settlement, a portion of the total that big pharmaceutical companies owe Nassau and Suffolk counties. James made the announcement during a Zoom news conference with Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman and Suffolk County Executive Steve Malone.
4: As a result of these settlements, starting today, all of Long Island will receive $46.9 million. Suffolk County will receive $26.4 million. And Nassau County will receive $20.4 million. In total, all 62 counties and the five largest cities will be receiving more than $197 million. I want to be clear that there is more money coming this is the first step and it's only a piece of the up to 1.5 billion dollars in settlements with some of the distributors and the manufacturers who caused the destruction and it only represents payments for this year 2022.
0: and as leticia james attorney general the executives said they would dedicate the money to drug rehab programs
3: We have a task force that we had put together that went and met with stakeholders all across the region, experts in the field, victim advocates who have been so important in this struggle, law enforcement, health experts as well from our health department and from the hospitals. Taking all that information and feedback, we are focused on the areas of uh, prevention, education as the attorney general talked about, but treatment, and recovery, we're looking to fill gaps where there is not enough there are not enough services being provided in those areas we want to fill the gaps we want to expand capacity so that these dollars are best being used to go above and beyond what we've already been doing
0: i would take the same approach as steve balona is in suffolk county with our new director of substance abuse we're going to sit down and look at the needs and then make a determination on how we allocate those funds. But I'll tell you one area that I certainly want to concentrate on, and that is rehab, rehabilitation, to try and get these young people back to be normal and live a healthy life. When a parent or someone has this issue, they feel helpless. They need to know that there are resources available And they have to be quality resources and not just individual counseling, but family counseling as well so that we can help train people on how to respond to a loved one who might be addicted to opioids. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman and Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone. And that's some of the news for Tuesday.